to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Holy Gospel, the first chapter of St. Mark, these words. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all of the sick and the demon-possessed. And the whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Some of you may well remember the summer of 1950. The summer when, according to PBS's American perspective, fear gripped the residents of Wytheville, Virginia, a fear that was spread like fire throughout all of the United States, through all of its cities and its towns. Movie theaters in Wytheville shut down. Baseball games were canceled. Panicky parents kept their children indoors. Anything to keep them safe from the invisible invader. Outsiders sped through town with their windows rolled up and bandanas were tied about their faces. The ones who couldn't escape the perpetrator were left paralyzed and some died in the wake of the devastating and the contagious virus. Polio had struck in Whiteville. The town was in the midst of a full-blown epidemic. It struck in many cities and towns throughout the U.S. That year alone, in fact, more than 33,000 Americans in 1950 fell victim, half of them under the age of 10, many of them dying because of it. Within two more years, the number would exceed 55,000 epidemic proportions. Daddy and Mama took everything Sonny owned, recalls one Anna Crockett Stark, just seven years old, when her brother was struck with the virus. All of his clothes, his bed, his chest of drawers. He had a fabulous comic book collection. They took everything out to the middle of the garden, and they made a pile, and they burned everything he owned, and they were told to do that so that we would not get it too. While communities panicked, and scientists raced to eradicate this dreaded disease of the 20th century. One, Basil O'Connor, dedicated his fortune and his time to developing a massive public campaign to involve citizens in fighting the war against this horrible crippler as people would give dimes to the cause in order to accomplish an awareness of what was happening, to deal with this horrible crippler and this killer of America's children as well as her adults. A war that for sure involved risk, as nearly two million school children in 44 states, and you'll remember this because many of you were among them, were vaccinated with the Jonas Salt vaccine, an experimental vaccine which no one at the time knew for sure was safe, but it was determined that something had to be done, and so began the largest public health experiment in the history of the United States. Fortunately, the Salk vaccine was ruled, quote, safe, effective, and potent. In fact, within just a few years of being licensed, the Salk vaccine and its competing Sabin alternative, remember the little sugar cubes, decreased the number of polio cases in the United States by 50%. By the early 1960s, the number of Americans contracting polio fell to a few thousand annually, and the last case of polio in the Western Hemisphere was reported in 1991. A war won, a dreaded disease 
vanquished. And now even throughout the world, while there are still cases of it being reported and spots of it being reported as on the increase in certain places, yet virtually it has been overcome. Oh, that the wars waged against all of the physical diseases of men were as successful as that waged against polio. Oh, that all diseases were vanquished. But they're not, are they? Not yet. A battle won here, another one there, advancements made on so many fronts. But we still end the day with the reminders of our human frailty and our physical mortality. A physical mortality that might well be ignored for the time of our youth, at least to a certain degree, but inevitably it knocks harder and harder as we grow older and older. But even among youth it takes its toll. A mind-arresting fact about the aging process is it begins to take its toll even early on. Did you know that by the time you turn 16 to 17 years old, you're already starting to lose your hearing? And at 30, the hormone levels drop, and guess what? The muscles begin to shrink. How right the prophet Isaiah was when he said in our Old Testament lesson today, even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men will fall exhausted. Time takes its toll upon us all, and time really is no respecter of persons, earth's inhabitants, as the prophet Isaiah said in today's Old Testament lesson, are like grasshoppers. And even those who are elevated by men to the princedoms of this world and to the positions of leadership in this world, even them, even they, Isaiah says, are, quote, brought to nothing. Scarcely, he says, are they planted, scarcely are they sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when the Lord blows on them, and they wither, and the storm of time carries them away like stubble. Now there's a definite sense of mortal brevity in those words, isn't there? There's a sense of brevity regarding our longevity here on earth, a brevity that shouldn't surprise any of us because the evidence of it is so overwhelming and it's all around us. It's about us as an established fact, as certainly as a, an established fact can be, the phenomena of aging accompanied by illness and disease which eventually culminates in dying and ultimately death. As the Apostle Paul tells us that it does, and then he explains to us even further, and he tells us why it does. He says, therefore, just as through one man, namely Adam, sin entered into the world, and death through sin, for death is spread unto all men, because all have sinned, he gets immediately to the cause of all of the symptomatic problems of our physical infirmities. And he says, ultimately, it's sin, that separation from God. St. Paul, speaking of those old, worn-out, and not-so-old, wearing-out bodies of ours, the victims of our sinful nature, Paul says, indeed, while we're in this tent, this sin-infected, this sin-affected body, we groan, he says, being burdened because we don't want to be unclothed. We don't want to be without this flesh and bones of our body because they, they're who we are and they're what we are. They're, they're part of us. And so we don't want to be unclothed, and we groan at the thought of it, at the process of it happening. In fact, sometimes our groaning about our eventual unclothing 
Sounds a bit like Scripture's insomniac. Remember Scripture's insomniac named Job? He said, I've been allotted months of futility and nights of misery have been assigned to me when I lie down. I think how long before I'm going to get up. And the night drags on and I toss and I turn until dawn. Then he goes on to explain why he's so restless until dawn as he describes the physical condition in all too vivid words about his time and his disease-worn flesh. And then he concludes it all by saying, Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. As the hymnist has said it so beautifully, change and decay in all around I see. O thou who changest not, Abide with me. See it clearly, friends. See it clearly. See clearly the impact that human sin has upon the human condition. How it affects you, me, those around you, all of humanity. See clearly what sin within does to our bodies within because that's but a a mimicking mirror that reflects the reality of what it would do to our souls within forever think on that and then smitten by it we that we then in turn might do what the people in today's text by grace did that we too might go where the people in today's text went that confronted daily with the same realities that stared them squarely in the face day after day still stricken and smitten by all the varied varied Diseases of life seasons resulting from the same human condition of sin within that we might go even at sunset as they did even at sunrise as so many of them would as our Old Testament lesson today says that we might go to the one who gives power to the faint and who renews the strength of the weary that they might mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not faint anymore. The everlasting God can do this, the prophet Isaiah said. The everlasting God can do this for us. Wait for him. Wait for it to happen. And who do we find doing this in the text for today, in the gospel lesson for today? Who do we find doing it? Who do we find stretching out his hand to place a divine grip about the the limp hand of the fever-weakened mother-in-law of Simon Peter? Who do we find identifying himself as Isaiah's everlasting God who is the creator of the ends of the earth? The one who never grows faint or weary but gives power to the faint and strength to the weary. Who is it? What does our text say? It says that evening after sunset the people brought to Jesus all of the sick. And the demonically oppressed, the whole town, our text says, gathered at his door. Come with me. By God's grace, come with me to Jesus Christ. Come with me by faith to Christ Jesus. Gather at his door in our day as the people of our text did in theirs. Gather with me where he's promised to meet us in our day, right here at the door that he's promised to be at, right here in his sanctuary, right here in the sacred space which is to us the Bethel 
of Jacob of old when scripture says he was filled with reverent fear and he said how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of God this indeed is the gate of heaven right here at the pulpit and the lectern of his house where he's promised to come to us and to to speak to us through his word that living voice of our Lord Jesus Christ forgiving us blessing us delivering us and delivering to us all of the blessings of the cross where our sin and all of the, the hell that it deserved became his to wear and became his to bear instead of ours. Right here at the font of his house, at this basin of blessing where through water and the word he expelled the demons first from us. As we renounced the devil and all of his works and all of his ways. And we were cleansed then by that washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit that takes place in holy baptism as he claimed us and he, as he named us and our children as his own. Right here at the table of his house, where in with an under-consecrated bread and wine, he comes to us in his very body and blood to be as close to us as deity can get to humanity on this side of heaven. Week in and week out he comes to forgive us and sustain us and to be with us and to keep us even on to life everlasting. Come with me by God's grace to Christ Jesus. Come to where he's promised to be found on this side of heaven right here in his word and his sacraments which bring to us all of the divine blessings of that cross right here where he's promised to be and all of his healing reality. But wait, you say, it all sounds great, but let's back up a bit. What about his healing reality right now in my life, in my sickness, in my infirmity? What about our sicknesses and our diseases? We still get sick. We still die. The evidence of it is all too real all around us. It's all too real within us as we experience each of it ourselves. We literally feel our need for physical healing all too often right now. What about the here and the now? Why doesn't he heal us now? Like he did those folks back then, like he did those folks in our text for today. But dear friend, he does. He does. Stop and think about it. Just as for them, so also for us. The promise of health irreversibly perfected begins for us at the very same time that it begins for them. The promise of physical health irreversibly perfected begins for us as it began for them at exactly the same time on that great day at the end of time when this mortal flesh and these mortal bones will be raised up to be clothed with a new quality of immortality. Until then, we may indeed experience temporal and temporary physical healing just as the sick who were brought to Jesus at sunset 2,000 years ago. Each of us healed today in some way or the other, at some time or the other, by that healing power of Jesus Christ. Whether his power works through the means of medicine, as he so often does, works through the physicians who attend us, or to the vaccines with which we're inoculated against diseases like polio and the like, his healing power working through prescriptions that are prescribed, through medical procedures that are performed, 
And sometimes miracles without means that defy every medical explanation, and they happen yet in our day too, each of us in some way experiencing the physical healing power of Jesus Christ, even as those gathered about his door 2,000 years ago. But note this, and note it well. Each of the physically sick that were gathered about his door back then, in our text for today, each would get sick again. And each and every one of them would in time physically die, even though they had been healed by Jesus. And so also with us. Why? Because the ultimate physical healing desired by all of us who gather at his door is not to be fully known until that great and that glorious day when all that is perishable about us becomes imperishable. Behold, Jesus says, I make all things new. And that is what he will say on that great and glorious day at the end of time that St. Paul describes as being the resurrection of the dead. So also, Paul says, is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body, but it is then raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. It's a reality to be sure, but it's a future reality that is to be realized and that now is to be clung to in faith in confidence that he who made the promise will keep his promise to you in due time. Those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and run and not be weary, walk and not faint. Little wonder that the apostle would elsewhere say the sufferings of this present time, therefore, they're not even worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so you see, even our physical suffering in the present time has its God-ordained purposes. God working his will somehow, all so often beyond our understanding, divine purposes that are seldom appreciated by us and even less celebrated, divine purposes so often hidden in the least likely of places, his strength working through our weaknesses to accomplish things that we often don't even see. After all, where was it that God worked his greatest work in all of history? Was it not through the seeming weakness of his own crucified son upon a cross? Is not that where the power of God is most evident as all of mankind is saved through what appears to the world to be such weakness? And so, dear friends, as one modern author has so beautifully put it in a poem entitled Out of the Darkness, it's very fitting for us, and it says, Out of the dark forbidding soil the pure white lilies grow, and out of the black and the murky clouds descends the stainless snow, and out of the crawling earthbound worm the butterfly is born, out of the somber shrouded night behold a new and a glorious morn. And so it is out of the pain, he says, and the stress of life, the peace of God pours down out of the nails, the spears, the cross, redemption, and a crown. 
so much for so many who by grace and through faith gather at his door and wait. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.